welcome to another episode of Fully Free with Ashley. Last week I forgot to do the little introduction where I tell you what this podcast is about, but we're really just here to focus on mental health, internal work, self-growth, development, healing, and hormonal health, recovery from eating disorders, and just living our best lives. I really want to branch out with this podcast and include a lot more topics that are accessible for everyone like I was describing last week in our core beliefs, emotions, and self-compassion episode with Laura Emerson, a wonderful psychotherapist and great friend. So I hope you've tuned in for that and really let it open up a portal for you to start to commit to, you know, trying to figure out what maybe some of your core beliefs are and recognizing how they're shaping your reality. And just that that's an ongoing process. So that was a wonderful episode. This week, we're diving into another women's health topic, which if you've listened to my previous podcasts or if you've come across my podcast, you may be familiar with the term called PCOS. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it's actually very common. It's a very common hormonal imbalance and syndrome across the world that really doesn't have enough funding for research and many people don't know about it and actually a high percentage of women will have this their whole life and not get diagnosed. Um, so I have a wonderful beautiful friend that I've actually met online another uh, guest today. She is a PCOS expert and she is really helping women reverse their symptoms and take control of their PCOS. She's a nutritionist from Vancouver, British Columbia. And ironically, we're just going to be meeting now for the first time speaking. I believe you say her name Laurence, like the French way, but we're going to confirm that in a few minutes. And then we'll just be diving into, you know, what PCOS is, how it affects our lives, what we can do about it, and the different types so stay tuned, I'm really excited because I have personal experience with this condition and it shows up in many different ways for each individual woman. There's no one size fits all and that's why it's really important to spend the time to learn about it, which I have been doing for the last four years and now I want to spread more information about it for women who already have a diagnosis, who think they might have it, who aren't getting the support they need from the medical side of things and just bringing some insight even for men or anyone else who's decided to listen to this podcast because it's a lot more common than you might think. Okay, everyone, so here's the Ronce, and she's going to introduce herself and tell us what she's up to in regards to he helping others heal their PCOS. Hey, thanks for having me on the podcast. Thanks for coming. <laughs> so basically, I guess I just introduce myself very briefly, um, but for me it was really... Um, health issues so I didn't really know if I had PCOS had a lot of stuff come up had sort of like an emotional trigger that just spiraled into all these health issues um and then it was kind of being hinted at like oh you might have PCOS but nobody really followed through and when I first heard the word PCOS I was like oh I don't want that that looks scary mm -hmm. so I was like you know what I'm not gonna like investigate it further because <laughs> I don't want to have it so I basically kind of just was in denial for a bit and then I finally got a diagnosis, and it was kind of the, the you know, the, the chat with my doctor being like, it's going to be hard to have kids, you might need more support, that kind of thing. Um, for me, it was really the cystic acne that was the worst symptom for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, yeah, everything that else comes with it. 
Um, and from there, I never really went the conventional route. I started to kind of dive into nutrition and become aware of, you know, what I'm eating, my lifestyle, toxins, things like that. It was a very long road, um, just kind of putting the pieces together. Because for a long time, I was also in kind of the mindset of, like, what's the next pill that I can, like, cure this or, like, my acne, even if it was natural, Mm -hmm. um, until I really started to dig into, like, the root cause approach. That's when things started to really change for me. And then I decided to, you know, go to nutrition school and specialize in PCOS because of my struggles. And I just saw so many women being frustrated and being told kind of the same thing that I was told, you know, take this pill. Um, I didn't have issues with my weight, but a lot of women are told, you know, just lose weight, etc. And it's just very frustrating. There's not a lot of answers. They're not told, like, why is this happening, how their lifestyle and their diet plays into this, and all that kind of thing. So that's why I decided to really pursue this sort of sector and this yeah. niche because of my own struggles. And then I just saw, like, the huge demand for really getting answers and approaching this from a natural way. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your journey because I feel like it's always – based on our own experiences that we get become really passionate about certain topics and wanting to help others after we've gone through something similar and I fully relate to your experience with not fully being followed up in regards to trying to figure out if you actually have PCOS I just finally got a diagnosis like a couple weeks ago but I basically knew for the last like four years that I'm pretty sure I have PCOS and Uh, that's how I found you like that's how we connected on Instagram because I found you I don't know probably like a year ago now and I was like this is so cool she's helping people naturally and like I love this so much so I knew when I started the podcast I was like I'd love to have you on here and as for my listeners like a bunch of people that have found my podcast already know what PCOS is because of just the niche that I've been kind of using to project my podcast out there but could do you mind telling people like what is PCOS like can we just start there yeah so it stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome um it's the most common cause of infertility in women it's said to affect like they usually say one to ten one in ten but now we are really leaning towards one in five women so this is like 20 percent of women of childbearing age um so this is you know affecting a lot of women worldwide and it is a syndrome, so it's basically a collection of many signs and symptoms, and it is a little bit misleading, and we'll talk about that after, I guess, but yeah. in terms of the name, because there is different sort of phenotypes and severities of PCOS, so it can be kind of confusing and not very clear and a little bit confusing around diagnosis as well, so we also think that there's a lot of women who are actually misdiagnosed and not diagnosed properly, so there are definitely a lot of women who are out there struggling with PCOS, they don't even know about it. Um, the majority of women said around 75% um, don't ovulate, so this is one of the biggest factors in PCOS is anovulation. Uh, infertility is also a big issue, so it's said to be 10 times more common in women with PCOS because of this anovulation, so they're not ovulating, and obviously you can't conceive if you don't ovulate. Um, and PCOS is actually responsible for 90% of ovulatory disorders, so it is definitely a very big common issue out there. So usually when you're looking at PCOS symptoms, the top ones are going to be around the excess androgens because this is a syndrome this which is characterized by high androgen levels. So these are male sex hormones um, as well as an ovulation. So a lot of women are going to have irregular periods, you know, irregular ovulation. They're not going to be ovulating regularly or not at all. 
And they're also going to be having high androgenic symptoms. So these can be like the acne, the hirsutism. Hirsutism means excess hair on facial area or areas like the chest uh, where we shouldn't be seeing them in women. Otherwise, you can also see acne. So that was one of my biggest symptoms, like cystic acne. It's not just kind of like a few breakouts here and there. It's really about like the deep cystic acne, um, which is pretty severe, moderate to severe. Hair loss is also a really common one. So it's going to be more of an overall thinning uh, behind the hairline. So a lot of women complain about this as well due to the androgens. Uh, can be other factors as well, but that's usually going to be one of the biggest uh, factors. Um, and those are kind of like the top symptoms we usually see with women due to the high androgens and then you know you're not ovulating so then you can have irregular cycles and really like longer cycles of over 35 days thank you so much that was like very comprehensive and (laughs) i think it's so important because when i first found the like when i first came across pcos it was like 2016 when my doctor said i think you might have maybe a crossover of pcos and hypothalamic amenorrhea or something related to your eating disorder because at that time i was in the depths of like bulimia and severely over exercising and my blood work kind of showed like patterns that demonstrated a connection to the like um a lessened i can't talk today sorry like a lowered <laughs> hypothalamus state like my, my hypothalamus wasn't communicating properly but then i also had some borderline high androgens like uh total testosterone and dhgas so that was the same experience that you had with oh my god I don't want that that sounds so scary that was literally me I was like what does this mean I was like googling for hours like how do I have this it says like only people that are obese have this or like severe hair loss like there's no no way I have this I was looking at all like the basic articles online that that just show a very narrow lens of what PCOS actually looks like because like you said there's so many phenotypes and there's so many outcomes like not every woman is going to have hair loss not every woman's going to have cystic acne not every woman's going to have a problem with her weight. So that's why many doctors, I feel like, too, don't diagnose properly because a lot of them only see through the narrow lens of, like, unless you're obese and have difficulty losing weight and then have all the things on the blood test, then you'll be diagnosed with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's very common to see uh, kind of your situation, too, going between the hypothalamic amenorrhea and the PCOS. They can overlap as well. Um, and then as well as you mentioned, for me and you, we're sort of like the more lean PCOS types. So you can also have PCOS and not have weight issues. I see a lot of women also like under eating and also have PCOS. So you don't have to have, you know, issues with weight. It's going to be more common, but you don't have to. Um, and this can also cause a lot of misdiagnosis as well, because you have a lot of these overlapping symptoms that go with PCOS. So the hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, hyperprolactinemia, those are also, um, they're called differential diagnosis, so basically something that could look like PCOS, but it's not. So you want to rule out everything else because PCOS is a, di- is a diagnosis of exclusion. So things also like hypothyroidism, um, those are also going to mimic them. But then you could also have both. Like for me, I have Hashimoto's in remission and also PCOS because they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Very, very common to have low thyroid function, autoimmune thyroid disease, and PCOS as well. And you could have the HA like you and the PCOS, but then they obviously don't have to stay forever. You can do something about it. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of women, when they get a diagnosis, one of my biggest issues is they're met with negativity and basically just obstacles right away. They're told, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, you have to do this for the rest of your life. Yeah. And they're basically told what they can and can't do. 
whereas the mental state for PCOS is already compromised due to physiological factors and obviously the emotional effects of it. So we really have to work on our mental state and have somebody who is, you know, supporting us through this because PCOS is a lifelong condition for sure, but we don't have to deal with the crap symptoms yeah. on a day-to-day basis. We can reverse them through proper lifestyle, diet changes, supplements when needed, um, but it just has to be managed properly. We don't have to deal with all the symptoms, but we just have to manage it so then we can reverse them. Yeah, and I think when we're able to shift our mentality from feeling sorry for ourselves, like obviously that will come up sometimes, like why does this have to happen to me? But shifting that to more, what can I do about it? How can I empower myself with knowledge and external support? Like working with someone like yourself, a professional that can help you get started, start to make um, habit changes, start to see a difference and then realize that you have an opportunity to fully change your experience. And yeah, it sucks, like no one wants to not have a regular period and to have cystic acne. I also struggled with cystic acne, knock on wood, it's okay right now, but you know, that is my, that was my biggest symptoms too, like all in my cheeks. I was like, what is happening here? I'm too old for this, I was in university, I'm like, I should be done puberty. But just feeling alone and all that, those horrible feelings that just aren't true. There's so many other women out there and I think it's so good to talk about this and spread the word. So women that have symptoms that don't even, haven't even heard of what PCOS is, because there's not a lot of outward knowledge about it unless you're digging for your own health research I think that can really shift the paradigm because we don't even have enough funding for this in terms of medical research right now nope that's the problem too I mean a lot of people also don't really know it's still a little bit confusing as to you know what exactly we don't really know what causes PCOS there are certain triggers like it's definitely uh, genetics are involved but then we're also linking specifically exposure in utero to high androgens or things like um, BPA or other toxins, uh, but we don't really know exactly what's going on here or really the best ways to prevent it, manage it, and as you mentioned as well, we have limited funding for this, so there's not a lot of research, unfortunately, going into it as much as we would like, um, and then it is very confusing still for people. Um, so yeah, we really do need to do more research in it and definitely need to support more women with this in terms of how can we manage this in the long term and stop looking at like the quick fixes which don't work and then they just make symptoms worse like usually when women go to see a doctor it's you know just take the birth control pill or metformin or whatever um, but this doesn't really get to the root of the problem Mm -hmm. so we're just kind of like putting a band-aid on something and then you know when you want to get pregnant later on we will get you off birth control and then we'll see what we can do. Like we'll get you on Clomid or whatever. And then it just goes from there. And we never really address the root issue. Yeah. And actually I got that recommendation two weeks ago and I finally got the diagnosis, but because I've done so much of my own research, I was like, no, I don't want to go on the pill. And also like, I am still trying to regulate my own period. So why would I take something that gives me a fake period so that I'm not even ovulating anyway? So it's, and it, it can make insulin resistance worse. So I just said no, but a lot of women, going in will just trust their doctor like yeah the birth control pill may help mask some of your symptoms maybe your skin will get better and some of your other symptoms will get better but it's not it could make some worse actually that's a side note but it, it's not going to help anything that that's the root cause yeah exactly and it's just kind of covering things up i, I see also a lot of women go up go on it really early even before they start like menstruating and for me i think i got on it like at 18 because of my acne mm-hmm. but we have to remember as well 
to get that communication between the brain and the ovaries going and, you know, to get fully functioning cycles, like it takes a few years. So if we're already suppressing that at a young age, we're never really getting that communication going. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of women, you know, they get on it when they're 18, even 16, younger, and then they're 30 and they want to start having kids and they're like, where's my period? What's happening? Why can't I conceive? But they never really, first of all, establish that communication between the brain and the ovaries, you know, like get things kick-started. And they're also doing things like increasing inflammation, increasing insulin resistance. As you mentioned, there is a link between the birth control and insulin resistance, as well as nutrient deficiencies that are really important for, you know, menstrual cycle health, but also hormones and overall health. So then when they are, you know, going off, confused, and they're also in this state of inflammation, insulin resistance, etc. So it's kind of like we have to zero. And this is obviously really frustrating for women because it's really hindering their progress, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, sorry everyone, I had a technical difficulty for a second, but we're going to dive into now. So, Laurence, um, what are the diagnostic criteria for PCOS? Like, so we've talked about some of the issues with PCOS right now, but how do women get diagnosed? Yeah. So I'm first going to talk about the Rotterdam criteria, which I think is the most known out there. So this one uh, basically was established in 2003. And you, to be able to be diagnosed, you have to meet two of the following criteria. So number one would be irregular or missing periods or anovulation, so issues with your cycle. Um, excess androgen levels on blood tests are clinically because this is a really important to remember. So in terms of androgens, a lot of women will be like, they have all the symptoms of androgen excess, like the acne, the hirsutism, the hair loss, but they're getting normal, quote-unquote, um, lab tests in terms of testosterone or whatever androgens they're testing. Mm-hmm. But this is not always going to be accurate, um, especially if we're just looking at the blood. So if you are getting normal androgen levels on blood tests, but you do have symptoms, then you would still characterize for this because you either want to see them on blood tests or symptoms or both because we can't solely rely on blood tests. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Gens, which are the male sex hormones, as I mentioned. And then number three would be ovarian cysts on ultrasound. Really important to remember, though, this is not a normal cyst. These are polycystic ovarian cysts. So they're like, they're characterized by like a string of pearls. And they're not actually cysts. They're undeveloped follicles. So this is what you would see on an ultrasound test. That's why they usually suggest do blood testing and the ultrasound to diagnose PCOS. So you need two out of those three. But then the Androgen Excess Society um, has a different approach to it, so they don't think you need to have the, the cyst, quote-unquote, at all. Um, the Androgen Excess, so again, the signs of high androgens and the evidence of ovarian dysfunction. So this is again, you know, anovulation, regular cycles. So for them, it's really not about the cysts because I think a lot of people, due to the name, they think that we need to see cysts, but um, you don't actually have to see them to have PCOS, which is very confusing in terms of the name. That's why they keep talking about changing it. Um, But people don't really know what to change it to because it's so multifactorial and it's not just like, metabolic or hormonal it's all these different um, signs and symptoms and issues going on so that's why it's really difficult to find a name and that's why there's a lot of confusion so at the end of the day you don't need to have cysts on ultrasound but you definitely should be kind of under the category of the high androgens and issues with ovulation or your cycle 
Thank you so much. So for people that might be listening, what are some examples of high androgens? Like I said, high DHEAS, which is from your adrenal glands, and then could you dive into what other ones might come back as high? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so other ones could be the testosterone, um, the androstenedione, um, then the 12. So that's going to be one that you only can find on... Um, Sorry, this is, the, this is the one basically which okay. is linked to the adrenals. Yeah. So the adrenals are only going to be secreting DHAS. So if we talk about the PCOS types, I'll go into this. Mm-hmm. But if you do see DHAS high on your blood test, then that would be indicating adrenal stress sort of PCOS factors going on. Yeah. Whereas if you see the testosterone, it's usually going to be linked more to the insulin resistance type of PCOS. Um, that's usually going to be more... Um, predominant in women with weight issue but as I mentioned before you can also have insulin resistance and be lean so this is where you do want to do the proper testing okay perfect thank you and then in regards to we'll go into the types in a second but in regards to testosterone what matters more like I know you said the blood work isn't the be all end all if you have symptoms but is it free testosterone that causes usually most of the symptoms or what's the difference between that and total testosterone yeah, so you'd want to test, I usually recommend testing for the testosterone total and free. Um, this is going to help, obviously, check for elevated androgens and also rule out the possibility of androgen-producing tumors, which is possible. So recommend sex hormone, hormone binding globulin to test that as well, because this is basically a protein that binds onto testosterone. So this is usually going to be lower in PCOS women, also going to be um, linked with insulin resistance. So this is something because you'll see higher testosterone total are free and then lower sex hormone binding globulin meaning that we see higher levels of testosterone moving around in the bloodstream and not being binded Um, but then there are different tests too so like the blood testing as i mentioned it can be a bit limited Um, this is where you do want to look at like symptoms as well and other tests for instance you probably heard of the dutch test yeah did Did you do the dutch test i did yeah it was very insightful um it was very insightful. I this is when I didn't have a period yet. I ended up getting a period like three weeks later because I seem I've lost my period like four times over the last four years for like five or six months, and I get it back by resting a lot more and eating a lot more and not really having food restrictions. So I think it's more related to HA at that point when I lose it. Uh, and then once my cycle comes back online for a few months, I usually start to get the odd cystic breakout like near ovulation, which I know is related to androgens, which every woman can have but it's affecting it it affects me in that way the dutch test did show that my dhgas is higher um all the the breakdown of that showed more adrenal activation and if you want to dive into the the pathways for um androgens mine wasn't um the androgenic pathway but so i don't my symptoms aren't that bad mine was really good on the opposite side do do you do you want to talk about that a bit yeah so for you, the Dutch test, I think that's a really um, a good test to do, especially if you're like looking at your blood test and you're like, I don't have any answers here. Everything's normal, quote unquote. Dutch test is great because then you're going to see the metabolized hormones and how you're processing them, not just like the estrogen, like what pathway you're going down, but also like the testosterone. The important thing to remember too is um, with DHT. So 
DHT is basically the more potent form of testosterone. So I see a lot of women, they'll be like, I have normal testosterone, but I still have like my hands falling out and I have like hirsutism and all of these clinical features of high androgens, mm-hmm. but their testosterone is normal. And usually this can be a sign that their DHT might be high because of this aromatase enzyme, which converts um, higher has a higher conversion rate in PCOS women. Mm-hmm. So this means that there's a lot, sorry, there's a lot of um, okay. conversion between testosterone to DHT, and DHT basically is what causes the hair loss and the hirsutism and things like that. So that's where um, just being mindful of the testing is going to be important. In terms of the androgens, like where they're coming from, unfortunately there's not like a test that says like oh this is just coming from your ovaries or just this is just coming from there but there are tests that can kind of help you see like where you're coming from more than the other so as you were talking i am more like the adrenal type pcos so if you have an elevation of all androgens including testosterone dystemion and dhas um this could be different TCOS types, but if you just have DHEAS that's elevated, but you have normal testosterone and androstenedione, which is another androgen, then you would probably fit under the adrenal type of PCOS, because as I mentioned, DHEAS is only produced by the adrenal glands, Mm -hmm. whereas testosterone, um, a lot of it is going to be produced by the over insulin and inflammation, which... um, you know, makes the PICA cells in the ovaries produce more testosterone, and that will inhibit ovulation and result in irregular periods or, you know, not ovulating, not being able to conceive. So that's where the testing kind of help you differentiate the areas it might be coming from and what you have to focus on more. And then obviously there are a few tests. Um, I have a guide actually I can always send to you. It's a free guide on like some tests I recommend people start out with because when they go to their doctor, they don't really do complete testing Mm -hmm. so for instance if you do have um normal or high testosterone or whatever it is on your androgens you would also want to see like where is it coming from so for instance with us we would want to see okay if it's from the adrenal glands it's probably stress related so then we kind of know like what to do Mm -hmm. versus if it's um coming from insulin resistance and inflammation then we want to see okay so what is our diet like what's making us more insulin resistant, what is creating a, creating inflammation in our body. So this is why the testing can kind of help direct you in terms of like where you want to focus your energy on and what your dominant type of PCOS is so that you can start to reverse these symptoms. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. And I'm definitely going to link like all your information below so any woman that wants to reach out to you can like sign up for your free guides and see your Instagram and all the great stuff you have. Because you work remote, you work like online with people too, right? Not just mm-hmm. from BC. Remotely. Yeah, so this wonderful lady here can help anyone around the world who needs help. And I super appreciate you coming on today. It, I always, I'm like such a nerd with this. Like, I know you're a nerd too because you, you're always posting like everything related to your own journey and like snacks you recommend and everything for for um, people that might be struggling with PCOS. Because it is a big shift to realize you have to change a lot of things in your life how you move how you eat how you rest how you manage your stress all these things are a daily commitment they're not just like oh you can choose one day and be like oh that's it okay I'm I've done what I need to to work towards like healing it's like an everyday commitment so um so for the PCOS types is there is there like headings that we can call them for people to understand them better Mm -hmm, yeah 
So there are basically four main types, insulin-resistant, inflammatory PCOS, post-pill PCOS, which is kind of like not a real PCOS, um, and then adrenal stress PCOS, which we touched on a little bit. Thank you so much. And so I'm still finding this difficult because I think I have an overlap of a bunch of them. And also I know I've I've looked up all the research on things being genetically linked, like um, high DHAS seems to be in my family um, with women and then... Um, my dad's side of the family is basically all type 2 diabetic, so I think I'm also more prone to the insulin resistance state. But uh, I know for insulin re- insulin resistance, you, the best test to get is oral glucose tolerance test with insulin. Uh, do you think every woman should get that or just people that the other tests aren't showing much insulin resistance? Do you think it's necessary? Yeah, so I usually start off by suggesting fasting insulin, fasting glucose, obviously a minimum, because mm-hmm. I see a lot of women just do fasting glucose, mm-hmm. and they don't do fasting insulin. I'm like, what? what? Why are you not doing this? Um, so yeah, really, really important to check for that too, because you might have normal glucose levels for years, uh, but have insulin resistance, and then years down the line, like the insulin could come up on your test and show an issue. So we really want to do both of them. HbA1c is also a really good marker. Um, glucose tolerance test, as you mentioned. Um, another way to kind of another indicator of insulin resistant is triglyceride to HDL ratio. So if you divide your triglycerides by the HDL, uh, you get the ratio. So that can also help. Um, other indicators as well would be you know low HDL, high triglycerides, um, markers of inflammation. Those can also kind of pinpoint towards insulin resistance. But as you mentioned. I do usually suggest like the fasting insulin, fasting glucose, uh, glucose tolerance test, HbA1c. Those are kind of good places to start, especially if you don't, if you think you have insulin resistance, mm-hmm. but you're testing for your glucose and it's normal. Um, that definitely is not enough. Thank you, and I think that's so important because it took me a while too to figure out the different tests. Because at first, at first, I actually did have higher glucose and hb1ac not like diabetic range up but like kind of significant for my age but that was when i was really deep in bulimia and stuff as well that was when my symptoms were also the worst um like both cystic acne and everything i've been working a lot personally on insulin like balancing my hormones trying to eat like fat um protein carb together more aware of like the glycemic index and then i'm taking supplements for it and my tests i did fasting insulin like i'm it doesn't, nothing comes back that I'm insulin resistance now, but one test did come back with reactive hypoglycemia, which I know can also be something that happens with women in PCOS and sig- sig- <laughs> signifies early insulin resistance. So could you talk about that? Have you seen that in any of your people you've worked with? So in terms of issues with blood sugar? Yeah, like how does how is that related to PCOS? Yeah, so I mean, when we look at, for instance, insulin resistance, PCOS, um, this affects like 75% of PCOS women, so this is a lot, obviously more than the majority. So basically what's happening is you're hyper-secreting insulin, so when you do have a lot of blood sugar in your blood, your pancreas basically starts to pump out insulin so that we get this blood sugar to go down, because if we have high levels of blood sugar in the blood, that is dangerous and damaging to our tissues, etc., so we need to get that blood sugar down to a healthy level. So how do we do this? Insulin gets secreted. It's the hormone that shuttles this blood sugar into our cells for energy. And if we have too much, then we store it as fat. So that's kind of like what happens with insulin. Um, But in terms of PCOS women, we are in an insulin resistant state, also known as prediabetes. 
And what happens here is instead of going through this normal process, the, sh the cells are not responding to insulin like they should because they're resistant. So they're not really listening to insulin anymore. So what we're seeing is we're seeing higher and higher levels of insulin being secreted because there's no response and we do need to get this blood sugar down. And then what we see in terms of the crash is since we have more insulin being secreted and it's trying to get your blood sugar down, what happens is we can see a crash that follows through that because of the high insulin. And so you might be going on the other end of the spectrum, whereas your blood sugar is way too low. And then you need to get it back again. This is usually seen with you know cravings, especially for carbs. If you are in that hypoglycemic state, you want quick sugar for your energy. Mm -hmm. So you're going to go for like the quick sugar foods and then you kind of go through that cycle all over again so this is where um you know hypoglycemia can also tie into the kind of insulin resistant sort of state. especially if you feel like you're hangry you're irritable around meals especially like after two three four hours if you don't feel like a gradual hunger shift but you feel like quickly very irritable or hangry i We've definitely felt this before. Yes. Um, it's definitely a sign of some sort of hypoglycemic um, response because your your body needs to get your blood sugar back up again. But when we're insulin resistant, this whole process doesn't function properly. And then we also see this testosterone that's going to be produced by the ovaries, insulin, and then it's going to lead to weight issues, etc. So it's a very dangerous cyclical sort of process that's going on. And that's why when we see PCO, uh, PCOS insulin resistant, this sort of type of PCOS, we really need to focus on balancing that blood sugar, balancing insulin, and not spiking it all the time. Yeah, thank you. And I think also like balancing blood sugar is helpful and healthy for like every single woman, whether or not they have PCOS, every single human, basically. Like it's important. For our blood sugar is so important for our lives. Um, and I know for myself, I can actually tell when I'm really low blood sugar, like I get dizzy, I'm lightheaded, like you said, hangry, like I'm kind of just spacey, and I didn't know the connection at the time when I first had that blood test that it, that it was related to probably issues with insulin. Like I was saying a few minutes ago, I think I've really zoned in on focusing on reversing the insulin resistance, and I think I've made a great impact, but I can still note and feel when I eat way too many carbs without a balanced portion sizes or without fat and protein in it like I can feel the difference so I just think it's important to note that many of us have to work on this for our lives like it's a like we were talking about before like a commitment to eat in a way that serves us but then also like enjoy enjoy food sometimes and you know have treats but recognize what we need to be healthy and feel good yeah 100% it's gonna be you know day-to-day -day, the day-to-day -day work that you put in it's not kind of like the once a year cleanse or fast that you do. It's really like what you do day to day. And I think that's where a lot of people miss the mark because we want like, again, as I mentioned, the quick fix, mm -hmm. but it's really what you do on day to, base, day to day basis. And it's even the smaller stuff that you do. That's going to be really important. Thank you. Yeah. I love that. What are some other ways that you've found successful or have helped you with yourself managing your PCOS, like non-related to food, or and people you work with even yeah so it's interesting because for, for me it started with the nutrition mm -hmm. but then I got into disordered eating because I fell down the hole of like everything is bad and and going on google and it's like every single food is villainized and you know that is yeah. <laughs> that rabbit hole so yeah. um food was part of my
my healing journey, but then it also took a turn. So then I kind of had to take a step back and look at, you know, what else is here? It's not just about the food. So obviously your lifestyle for us too, it's going to be more adrenal stress based. But again, something that all women have to really pay attention to because not only are PCOS women more prone to stress, but they also manage it more in a difficult way. Like they're not able to process it as well. So this is where the stress management is so key. And I see this with literally every single woman who comes to me. It's, you know, a lot of them will say, I'm not really under a lot of stress. Like I don't really feel stressed, but I can literally count at least 10 things affecting them on a day-to-day basis that are stressful on their body that they might not be aware of, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, biological, chemical, physical, all of these things from toxins to poor sleeping habits to some poor eating habits to obviously relationships, finances, overeating, undereating, overexercising, underexercising. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, and it puts a big stress on our bodies. So this is where lifestyle changes are so important. We have to remember we really live in a world that our bodies are not really able to keep up with. So no wonder we are, you know, feeling tired and crappy and not being able to wake up in the morning refreshed and we're having issues with our weight, etc. And a lot of it's coming down to, you know, what is our lifestyle looking like? Because if we're literally just go, go, go all day. We're not taking time to pause, to play, to have fun, to relax. It's just a constant mode of stress and fight or flight. And we have to remember that the stress response is good in acute circumstances. So we are meant to, you know, respond to stressors in, you know, short-lived uh, ways, but not when it's chronic every day. Mm-hmm. That's when our body can start to see, you know, breakdown um, issues with chronic disease showing up and illness and all that kind of thing. So that's just something I think a lot of us, the universe right now is kind of sending us a message like we need to slow down. And I think a lot of people are kind of getting that message now with what's going on. Um, yep. But yeah, stress management, I see like number one. And then mindset changes, as you talked about as well. We kind of mentioned a little bit at the beginning. It's really getting out of that victim mindset as well and just taking things, you know, like things literally like you can't do this, you can't do that. Like when people are telling you that, really their limitations are not, you shouldn't take them on yourself. So even if the doctor says something, at the end of the day, we have to question everything because even if, you know, I've been told things like you can never do this, you can never do that. Mm -hmm. And then I literally reverse things and I'm like, Okay, watch so me. Yeah, true. Yeah, you know what I mean, so, so we really have to question that and remember that what we are feeding ourselves is not just food, but also information. What we're feeding our minds, what our thoughts and our emotions are, you know, constantly on repeat. Um, I don't know if you looked into Joe Dispenza, but he talks about this a lot, and I love him because he talks about like the mental connection with the physical body, and it's completely connected. Like we're holistic beings, and what we think becomes emotions in our bodies and chemicals in our bodies and this can create disease a disease state or a healthy state so we really have to remember we have to be mindful of our thoughts as well and that's where I really combine like the mindset coaching along with the nutrition and the lifestyle because for me a a long time I was just making the mistake of just focusing on food and that did not help so that was not the only piece of the puzzle we have to put them all together yeah I also completely relate to going down the rabbit hole that you said with trying to manage every single food and also after coming from having an eating disorder for so long I was like why do I have to struggle now with managing every single food that I eat like I'm the worst person I don't want to think about it anymore I've already like I've had so so much struggle with this in the past now I have to do it because of a condition and 
again, having to balance and realizing that, like I was telling you, my period disappears when I'm so like, oh my God, you can only have this, 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 you can't have that, probably under eating, which I know I was originally, all of that ties together and it's actually more stressful for me than just focusing on balance, allowing myself to have things that I crave so I'm not overeating them, I'm not binging after and all of that uh, has made much more of a significant impact in terms of managing my symptoms and also um, keeping me in a positive state of mind, enjoying my life, being present, being able to appreciate experiences with my loved ones and etc. Yeah, I love that you also are on the same page with that because and I mean, if we can prevent people from going down that rabbit hole, that would be amazing because there's really no point. Like, I don't want people to also go down that path because it's not fun. So let's just prevent that from happening. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully this podcast is a bit of insight into that. But even your Instagram, like, you're constantly sharing such important information and you are exemplifying a balanced lifestyle, right? Not that every day is great, but you're, we try to make every day the, the best we can and take one step at a time. Thank you for that. <laughs> no, no problem. <laughs> um, okay, so we talked about the types of PCOS. Uh, what are some like supplements you might recommend for PCOS, the different types, whether they're natural? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to really depend on the person, but um, I see a lot of common deficiencies like vitamin D is very commonly uh, deficient in PCOS women, really important for ovarian function, for menstrual regularity, obviously immune health and all that. So this is, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, as we know, um, this is going to be commonly deficient. With vitamin D, I usually recommend testing in your blood just because I see a lot of women taking pretty low doses, but sometimes they have to take more. And the only way to know what kind of dose you need to take is by testing. So vitamin D, uh, magnesium is like the mineral I recommend like everybody on the planet. I take, take that every day. <laughs> Sorry? I take that every day. I love it. Magnesium. Yeah. Me too, and I, I can feel it if I don't take it. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, we're just deficient because our our soil is deficient now, and we're not getting the same nutrients in our food, and obviously our digestion, our stress is is compromised. So we also have to remember that under times of stress, magnesium is dumped pretty um, quickly out of the body because the body uses it um, more during times of stress. Uh, and it's really, really important for not only the stress response, but also for mental regularity and ovarian function and all those types of things, and it can also really help um, with anything like PMS related, so if you have PMS symptoms, that can also help with that. So magnesium, really, really um, great mineral to take, and you can take that on a daily basis. Uh, Omega-3, I usually see um, commonly an issue too with women, but also across the board, just because we're eating so many more processed foods, omega-6, those vegetable oils, and those kinds of things that are more inflammatory, and we're not really eating a lot of wild fish. There's a whole debate on, you know, like, the toxins in fish now, so I usually recommend, like, don't eat it every single day, mm -hmm. but if you are eating fish, like wild fish, like the smaller fish, sardines, mackerel, anchovies, those kinds of things, wild salmon, um, but otherwise, getting a good quality algae or omega-3 fish oil is a really good idea, just because we want to bring those levels of omega-6 and omega-3 in a right ratio and help with that inflammatory response, which is chronic across the board in PCOS. So there is this underlying inflammatory response going on in PCOS, and we really want to dampen that. So omega-3 is going to be so important for that, and I see this a big game changer in women who have an issue with like getting their period back and things like that. Um, this one can be really, really helpful for that. And again, omega-3 is kind of like a general one too, like magnesium, like 
most people need to take it yeah. just because they're not getting enough. Uh, otherwise, in terms of PCOS-specific, I really like inositol. Um, it's probably one of the most researched supplements out there. It's a relative of the B vitamin family, so it's not, like, synthetic or anything. It's not, like, it's basically a natural compound. And this one is going to be really helpful for especially restoring ovulation and those irregular cycles, trying to get them regular again, helping with um, fertility and all that kind of thing, and also really, really important for insulin resistance. So it has been shown to have great results in PCOS um, and helping with that insulin regulation, getting the blood sugar into the cell, as we talked about. So and also tool I really love for a lot of women. I take that too. That's what I um, started taking when I first had my blood sugar realizations from like mildly elevated blood glucose. Uh, I take less now, but I still take it every day, and I think it significantly has helped. In terms of managing cravings too, like I don't have as much cravings now. Uh, my skin's improved. My my cycle was regular for a while. Again, I told you I'm still dibble dabbling with trying to figure out what's going on with that because I have some crossover with HA from eating disorder. But I do love inositol too. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, of course I love hearing that, and I just I see it really helpful for a lot of women. So for me. I think it helped my acne pretty quickly, mm-hmm. but then obviously all the other benefits too. So, and also I really, really like, and um, it's just, you can find it anywhere really, and it's just a, a natural supplement. Um, in terms of stress, I mean, we're all going to be under stress, and then also specifically the stress, the adrenal stress type PCOS. So uh, looking at things like B vitamins, vitamin C, B vitamin complex I usually recommend for people just because it's pretty rare that we're going to be um, having adequate levels of B vitamins across the board. Mm -hmm. So this can be really helpful to kind of get those levels up. I usually do recommend trying to get at least like the B12 tested, the folate, because especially if you're taking metformin that actually depletes B12. So this is where getting a B12 supplement or a B uh, complex could be really uh, helpful, especially if you're in that category of like stress and energy crashes and feeling like you've been hit by a bus, you can't get out of bed, you're having issues with working out, you're not sleeping well, um, and that kind of thing. This can be really helpful for helping with the adrenals and get that energy going again. And I really love herbs, so adaptogens can be great to help with that stress response. They have a lot of different effects too, for instance, with blood sugar balancing. Uh, the great thing about herbs is they kind of help modulate, bring you back into balance where you need to be. Mm-hmm. It's not like they just do one thing. So I've been really loving adaptogens. I usually switch them up. Um, but common ones you've probably heard of are like holy basil, ashwagandha, rhodiola. Those are all great adaptogen herbs. And then I think a lot of uh, women have probably heard or tried Vitex before. Mm-hmm. So Vitex, uh, it's a herb usually that helps to help that helps to boost progesterone production and get that cycle going again so specifically if you got an off the pill or you're not getting a cycle vitex can be helpful only caution is if you do have high lh which is common in pcos could potentially make that worse not always just something to be aware of uh, for me it was interesting though because i had high lh i took vitex um felt a little bit of depressive symptoms at the beginning mm-hmm. but then i decided you know just like power through this because it's funny for me i kind of become my own guinea pig so yeah. i'm like whatever let's just try it see what happens yeah um and for me my lh actually rebalanced itself and cool. then the depression went away after mm-hmm. like a few weeks of being on it so it really depends on the person like you can react differently differently but it can definitely help kind of bring that period back and 
also help your progesterone levels because usually we're going to see low progesterone, especially if you're not ovulating, then you can't make progesterone. This is going to help that. But if you do have high LH and you don't do well with Vitex, then another one commonly talked about is peony and licorice. I haven't tried it myself, but I've heard great things about it, and that can kind of help uh, regulate that LH to FSH ratio, ovulate normally, and get a regular cycle. So those are some herbs that are commonly used too, uh, but obviously you want to be careful, especially if you're taking medications with any herbs, they can interact, and just be mindful that they do work in a, you know different ways, so they could affect you differently. Awesome, yeah. Um, I think those are all great supplements too. I've tried quite a few of them. Like you said, I've been my own guinea pig too. I love adaptogens too. I'm using rhodiola a bit right now, but I've used ashwagandha before. Uh, I do have, I do just drink licorice root tea, but I actually got a supplement from my naturopath called, from my MediHerb called Femco. And I think there's some combination in there related to the ch- ch- peony or whatever, but I've been using that. And I've had great success with that one too. So it's cool to like try things and see what works for us. I have never tried Vitex, but I've also never had high LH. And I'm just just not going to try that for now because I have so many other things that I'm I'm using. But uh, I think it's so good. And why do you think it's important to work with a practitioner like yourself and not just try everything by yourself? I mean, we are doing that. I've done years of research and I have worked with two (laughs) naturopaths and two functional health people. So it's not like I'm just doing it by myself. Yeah, I mean, not only is it going to save you time and money and frustration, but when we're trying, it's kind of like throwing spaghetti on the wall, and it's like hoping you're going to cross your fingers and see what sticks, and yeah, it's just so much frustration, and you're just saving yourself a lot of time and money because somebody has actually researched and gone through it, so they're letting you know, like, the quick fixes and stuff, like, this is not going to work for you. We need to address, like, the foundation. So, for instance, as I mentioned before, the PCOS types, really going to be helpful to address like which type is dominant in a person with PCOS because then we know like where we need to focus our attention on because if you are dominantly I don't know insulin resistant we're not going to focus on the adrenals as much as the insulin and blood sugar because that's going to be your driving factor so this is where we really want to establish like what are the driving factors here what is the priority and what are the changes that are going to make a difference for you because otherwise you know, p- people come to me and they're like, I'm eating everything right, I'm doing low carb, I'm exercising like crazy, and I'm just like, oh my god, we need to like lower your stress, we need to like actually get you eating like macronutrients, like a good uh, balance and things like that, because a lot of the things that people are reading online, it's just a lot of toxic stuff, to be honest, and we're just kind of, you know, underfeeding ourselves, we're not nourishing ourselves, we're not taking care of our female cycle, and I, another, um, Another error I see a lot, which I did also myself, is we're doing a lot of things that men are doing that's working for them. So, for instance, fasting, intermittent fasting, keto diets, restrictive diets, things like that. A lot of this will work a lot better for men because they are physiologically built differently. They don't have a 28-day cycle, um, which is changing all the time. Like We have different stages of our cycle first half of our cycle is going to be different from the second half we're going to be burning energy differently we're going to have different appetite signals we're going to have different hormone fluctuations so we can't compare ourselves to men because they don't have the same fluctuation Mm -hmm. that means that we can't get the same results through the same ways that men are doing it so for instance you'll see a lot of women like a couple for instance they go through the same sort of workout and diet routine 
the guy will get ripped and the girl is like oh, what the hell's happening i'm yeah. not getting any results and it's like you can't do the same thing because we're not the same and i think that's really important to remember so yeah just be mindful of what you're reading online and long story short um practitioners have gone through this and they've actually done the research and we know what can work and what can't so we kind of help you figure out what's the best choice for you and also really help you you know stop wasting time and money on trying to figure out what's working and going down the rabbit hole which is just super frustrating so and I've been there I don't want it to happen to you so yeah you're really passionate because it, it was you before and now you're here to lead people out of that or prevent it from happening in the first place which is so powerful 100% and you too I mean even with your own story and the podcast and what you're sharing on social media as well I think it's great that we are getting this message out there to a lot more women and I think it's starting to really hit home and women are kind of getting fed up of the conventional route and you know being frustrated and not being heard and not getting answers so there is a shift for sure yeah definitely and I'd love to in the future have a podcast I know we were talking before about um charting our cycles and cycle syncing with exercise we can do that at like a whole other topic related for PCOS people but also just women in general because I actually had a great guest a few weeks ago he's a functional medicine coach and he owns his own company and we were just talking about how women can literally train themselves into androgen dominant states that like mimic PCOS or even can activate PCOS obviously with the genetic component and everything like that so I think a lot of people in like the front lines of this work that maybe the medical research hasn't fully caught up to it yet, but you've worked with so many people and seen things actually happening in real time. So you can help people troubleshoot their own stuff going on. Yeah, hundred percent. It's really a great experience because obviously there is, there are the textbooks and you know, the research and everything, which is really important to dig into. But then at the end of the day, what we're seeing like one-on-one -on -one with people is also going to be really helpful in kind of providing feedback and seeing what's working, what are people struggling with, what are kind of the main sort of underlying issues going on, and seeing what works as well. Because obviously, like, yeah, textbook into practice is different too, because a lot of people know what they should be eating, but they're not doing it as well. So that's also kind of looking into like the mindset, like, why are we not doing things that are good for us? Which is what I see a lot with women, like, we get them on, you know, a more clean eating plan but then sometimes they get into the self-sabotage mm -hmm. or they're falling off the wagon which is where the accountability and support to have a coach is so important because you can google all day what's the best diet but a lot of the time a you are just going to kind of be trying different diets that never work or you're going to be falling off the wagon constantly and just kind of getting back on the wagon and we all know <laughs> that just keeps going on and on right so it's also kind of like the mindset approach to it too and finding something that's sustainable for you because at the end of the day it's really not about the diet it's more like what works for you and staying away from the labels because labels are super toxic and eating disorders are much more prevalent in PCOS women as well so we really want to stay away from like the labeling and the dieting and the restriction and look more towards like what can I support my body with what feels good and what's working for my goals and my constitution and all of that yeah I think that is if anything, the highlight of this episode and just the healing journey is what works well for you and what feels good in your own body. Because for one person, it's not going to be the same as another person. And then going back to having self-compassion for yourself, for me, something I've struggled with is after coming out of an eating disorder, running my life for so long, sometimes I just want to eat whatever everyone else is eating. And then 
I get in my head like, oh, they might be thinking, judging me because I'm not eating that or judging me because I'm picking this or whatever. I make up stories in my mind uh, that probably aren't true or even if they are the odd time, maybe someone's wondering why I'm doing that. But I'm also going through my, balancing my hormones and a bunch of other things that are different than the, the past I've had with an eating disorder. So I need to do what's best for me as everyone does, do what's best and then surround yourself with supportive people, which include your loved ones and family and friends, but also a coach or a professional to help you because it's easy to go down the rabbit hole of feeling alone or doing well for a month and then falling off the wagon, like you said. Yeah, 100%. And I think we all, in terms of all areas of our life, like my health, my business, my whatever, I have coaches for all of those areas. Like I always have people that I reach out to when I need support. Like, I reached out to my herbalist, like, two months ago because I felt something was off, was off. There was digestive issues. So it's not like we ever really stop needing support. We have needs for different support throughout our lives, and they're going to change, and we might need less support as we move on. But, I mean, as humans, we always need some outside support, and that is fine. We just need to be able to ask for help, and I think that's also an issue with women. We're just reluctant to ask for help. Uh, but that is, like, the best thing you could ever do is just ask for help. And that's really going to help you kind of like get back on board and move towards your goals more efficiently. Exactly. Thank you for that. Okay. So just to almost close our episode, what are some of the long-term risks of PCOS? Like in regards to each, you don't have to go into each type in depth, but just some general things that might happen. I know based on the research that the insulin resistant type seems to be the most negative long-term if, if not managed. Could you just touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so a lot of long-term risks, specifically like insulin resistance, which is pre-diabetes, so that can go down the road um, to diabetes, obviously. So this can, you know, happen for years and years, and this is where it's really important to do the proper testing because you might not be full-blown diabetic, but you might be insulin resistant for years. We obviously don't want that to go down the road of diabetes, and insulin resistance is already super damaging to the body. So we obviously want to catch that. Uh, this can also lead to cardiovascular disease due to the high levels of insulin and inflammation, the high glucose in the bloodstream. So we can look at you know increased risk of stroke and that kind of thing. So those are usually going to be the two big ones. And then obviously some other issues like in terms of cancer. So specifically if we're not ovulating, then we can be more estrogen dominant and not making enough progesterone. So we can see more... Um, you know, estrogen dominant cancers be a risk factor as well. That's why a lot of women are told to go on the pill too, because we want to actually get that bleeding at least and to reduce the thickening of the endometrial lining. So those are all risk factors too. Um, those are usually kind of like the three big ones I touch on, but there are, you know, other ones as well that come up. Um, but those are kind of like the big, the big three. Okay. Thank you. And just one other question. Have you seen a link with osteoporosis? Because I know some women, have you had this with some women with PCOS have low estrogen as well? Yeah, so it's totally possible, especially when we're looking at the conversion. Um, there's going to be more of a conversion towards the high androgens versus the estrogens. So we could also see an issue with estrogen as well, uh, specifically when it comes to HA, so specifically like in your case, yeah. um, when we have low hormones across the board, this can also be an issue, and then obviously if we have low estrogen, then that can result in issues with bone health, so that's going to be really important uh, for women to make sure that they are, you know, making adequate levels of hormones, not just the progesterone, but then the estrogen too, because I think a lot of people think that we're all estrogen dominant across the board, but it's not the case. 
So we obviously want to be careful with that, but that's usually going to be more of a factor I see with people who are having an eating disorder, RHA, or they're under eating and things like that, and they're just not making healthy hormones. So you really want to be making sure you're getting like the healthy fats in your diet, the healthy uh, proteins, and you're eating enough. And that's usually what I see is lacking in women. Mm-hmm. Like they're not getting enough protein, they're not eating the healthy fats, um, and they're usually under eating because they really want to lose weight. But then their hormones are out of whack, and obviously that's going to interfere with weight loss too. So it's like a nasty cycle. So we really need to be nourishing ourselves with the right food, and that way we can actually be making the hormones properly. Thank you. Yeah, actually, it was my low estrogen on my Dutch test that kind of was a big wake up call for me. I was like, wow, I don't want to have bone issues. Like, I'm too young to be worried about this already. And that was when it kind of became clear that I have a crossover of HA and PCOS. So I think that's. That's, it's just fascinating to know that there can be so many varieties and differences of results for every single person's like blood test, how it shows up in our bodies, what we need to do to work towards healing, but just going back to not being afraid to ask for support, for t- taking the time to commit to researching it and working with professionals and advocating for ourselves when the professionals we are seeing aren't helping us or aren't meeting our needs is really crucial for moving forward. 100%. Yay, okay, thank you so much. Do you have any last-minute things you want to tell anyone listening in regards to healing from PCOS or just moving towards living our best lives? <laughs> I mean, I think it really comes down to advocating for yourself, so remembering that it's really up to you to take responsibility, but there is something you can do about it. So, you know, even if people kind of put resistance blocks in front of you, um, really remembering that PCOS is a lifelong condition, but there's a lot of things that you can do, and it's really in your daily habits. So reaching out for help, don't be scared to reach out for help, and starting with those little small shifts that you can do that you think are doable. You don't have to do it all at once. Um, you know, like the little things like swapping out. I like doing healthy swap exercises with my clients, like, okay, we're having pasta tonight. How we, can we make that a healthier pasta or whatever? So not making it like a diet, making it a lifestyle change, because this is something that needs to be a forever thing but it doesn't have to be like a trap it can be like a nice lifestyle change that actually works for you and that you enjoy and that's the whole point yes love that though you enjoy we can still enjoy foods enjoy what we love be be able to eat with our loved ones all those amazing things thank you so much for your time and everything on the podcast today thank you so much for having me okay everyone so there you have it we just finished finished with Laurence from Vancouver BC super insightful podcast about PCOS and just sharing a bit of our own stories diving deep into the diagnosis of it how to manage it the mental side of it just overall healing and actually we didn't touch upon some of the theories about why or where PCOS came from it's again unconfirmed we don't know why but there is a theory that in history it would have been advantageous for women to have PCOS especially more of insulin resistance because in times of famine it's easier to hold on to weight and and at the same time turn off ovulation so when it's not advantageous to get pregnant these women wouldn't get pregnant and it could increase the likeliness of the tribe or whoever surviving uh which is very fascinating there's a few other theories and actually women with pcos often more easily put on muscle and are more not not athletic all the time but are more leaning towards an athletic body stance when they're when they're fit and actually there's a lot of women in high level athletic positions like the olympics or 
professional sport that have higher androgens, which are conducive to like more strength, more power, etc. So it's interesting the connections that can be made to seeing how hormones play a role in the direction of people's lives or the outcomes of their abilities in their lives in terms of like sport performance or weightlifting performance, etc. And I should just note with that that not every woman with high androgens has PCOS. You can have higher testosterone, higher DHAS, and not have problems with your cycle. And as me and Laurence talked about at the start, there's so many different variations and varieties. You can have very mild PCOS, which is what I would fall under in terms of the category, but it could get worse if I didn't take care of my food, my lifestyle, my sleep, my stress habits. And the same way that someone very far on the other end of the spectrum with very advanced PCOS with lifestyle changes, there has been massive improvements uh, in symptoms and lifestyle and uh, disease long-term management and prevention. So I think that's really important to remember. So that's where we'll finish with for today. If you have any questions, if you've never heard of PCOS or you have PCOS or you think you do and you want to chat about it, you can reach out to me at Fully Free Wellness on Instagram or reach out to Laurence, who is also going to be linked on the bottom of this podcast. I just want to thank you all for taking time out of your day to listen, to tune in, to support me, and I hope you're all taking care of yourselves during COVID-19 right now while you're at home with your loved ones or by yourself. Remember to move your body a little bit each day, spend time off your phone, turn off the news, do some meditation, some art, some self-care, and connect with your loved ones in any way you can. Thank you. Take care.